Welcome to Talking Humanitarianism. In this podcast, you will hear from a range of humanitarian researchers and practitioners sharing their reflections on different humanitarian issues, from conflict and disaster, migration and displacement, health and the environment, to humanitarian aid and governance. This podcast series is an initiative of the Research Network on Humanitarian Efforts of the Norwegian Centre for Humanitarian Studies. The NCHS is a collaboration between the Christian Mikkelsen Institute, the Peace Research Institute Oslo and the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs and is funded by the Research Council of Norway. Hello and welcome to this podcast on intersecting vulnerabilities in humanitarian disasters. My name is Ekaterina Shukova, and I'm a researcher at Lund University in Sweden. This initiative is supported by the Research Network on Humanitarian Efforts of the Norwegian Center for Humanitarian Studies, NCHS. And it is co-organized with my colleague, Antonio De Lauri, a research professor at the Christian Mikkelsen Institute in Norway and director of the NCHS. And today we have a pleasure to talk to Alicia Slivinski, who is an Associate Professor of Global Studies at the Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. Alicia is a social anthropologist working on the issues of development, humanitarianism and reconstruction after disasters. And her geographical focus is Central America and Cuba. A warm welcome to you, Alicia. Thank you very much, Ekaterina. It's a pleasure to be here. So let me start by asking you first, how have you come to study disasters? <laughs> All right. I came to study disasters out of the private sector. I um, was a consultant for a private firm uh, in Canada, in Montreal, Canada, whose clients were uh, bilateral and multilateral institutions, including the Canadian government. And in 1988, Hurricane Mitch hit Central America, and we got the contract to evaluate Canada's performance of uh, disaster response, of humanitarian emergency response. And so it was my initiation, if you want, in the world of uh, humanitarian response to disasters. I went to um, Nicaragua and Honduras in uh field missions, but this is not like anthropological field work. These are short trips. And I learned a lot. And um, that pushed me to start a doctoral thesis on humanitarian aid in, in the field of anthropology, because I was already trained in anthropology. Mm-hmm. But I did not do my uh, PhD studies on Hurricane Mitch, but rather on a uh, disasters and earthquake that hit El Salvador in 2001. So this is to say that my focus is not that of a physical geographer where uh, the focus is on the earthquake or the uh, hydrometeorological event. It is really the social aspects of disasters, uh, a field which was very strong as well in Latin America. We can talk a little bit about this before. So my trajectory is out of um, anthropology, then a two-year experience in, uh, in the private sector as a junior consultant in international development uh, evaluation and monitoring, uh, out of which I, I decided to go back and dig, delve deeper into, uh, into the field of disaster studies from an anthropological point of view. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that anthropology was your 
entry point to understand disasters and you have experience as a practitioner as well. So what do you think anthropology, what is the role of anthropology in our understanding of disasters as maybe in comparison uh, when a, a person is a practitioner? Oh, when a person is a practitioner, um, there's questions of expediency, there's questions of, um, the outputs are very different, the questions are very different. Um, when you are a consultant, you work for a client as well. And um, the way you present data or your fact finding is uh, framed by certain terms of references. So this is for the consulting work, for the people who are doing the emergency response themselves. Well, you want to save lives, you want to provide food, you want... So, so there's uh, different expectations there that can be, of course, um, informed by the work anthropologists do or sociologists, but people in the social sciences and anthropology of disasters or humanitarian aid can convey. For me, uh, the importance, the seminal importance of anthropology remains the focus on culture, the focus on localized experiences and worldviews, on the embeddedness that uh, good solid researchers should continue to do. That means you get to know a, a, as much as you can a, a community and, um, and stay there a while and to see what's going on uh, day to day throughout an emergency, throughout what happens after the emergency, and looking at different levels of discourse, looking at different practices, what I call moral economies mm -hmm. uh, of aid, mm -hmm. which are plural, even uh, during a disaster response. So that is one key finding in one of your questions. That's really yes. one thing that yes. I really wanted to yes. insist upon. So anthropology for me has, uh, well, of course, this, this focus on, on culture and on localized experiences, but it also provides a uh, fabulous, I find, toolkit of concepts mm -hmm. through which to appreciate people's lives mm -hmm. uh, and uh, both collaboration and conflict. Uh, hope and and um, despair, uh, mm -hmm. questions of um, political economy that are also very very important in uh, in the field of disaster studies and humanitarian aid take on a certain um, flavor. All right, with mm -hmm. anthropology. So for me, anthropology has been a very rich, dynamic field. The anthropology of disasters and of humanitarianism are now converging. They were not initially. When I started 20, more than 20 years ago, they were not. Uh, I was among one of the few, and now we're a whole generation of putting them into conversations in different uh, geographical foci. And so anthropology, I think, has been able to bring to practitioners uh, of humanitarian aid, of disaster response, of reconstruction, very important lessons. Mm -hmm. You, you mentioned that concepts are important lens to understand disasters. And one of your main concepts is moral economy of aid. Would you like to talk a little bit more about it? What does how it mean? And how do you see, um, how do you understand disasters through the lens of this concept? Okay. So first, I'd like to say that I did not invent this concept at all. It is mm -hmm. quite a popular concept in the field of anthropology. Mm -hmm. Um Didier Fassin wrote uh, a lot about it, so I'm just naming him, but, but there's others. Mm -hmm. I use it similarly, but a little bit differently. I find it really useful because it allows me to look at 
the circulation of values and of affects and as they're tied to resources. And in that disaster, you have limited resources, you need resources to survive and to rebuild. And the way this is um, channeled through professional organizations, the aid organization, the donors and the receivers, all this creates a very complex, dynamic, not easy field. There's conflict, there's disappointment, there's expectations. Um, they change throughout uh, the temporal development of these uh, processes from emergency to reconstruction to long-term development. Um, and I find that the notion of moral economy allows one to take into consideration um, effective dispositions ethical and moral dimensions to the concept of value. And all this doesn't just float in the air. It is always tied to an embedded life, all right, with resources, uh, all kinds of resources, food, housing, uh, etc. So for me, this concept has allowed me to frame different moments to take into consideration how um, discourses, of different stakeholders, if I can call it that way, change over time, how they will become into tension. So I find it still a very, very useful concept. Mind you, I did not start my studies with moral economy. I started very classically through the notion of the gift from Marcel Maud, all right? <laughs> because of this idea of aid being uh, this generous gesture, all right, of donors of multiple sorts to beneficiaries of multiple sorts. And um, the um, area where I did my, my, my uh, doctoral research in El Salvador, people were talking about uh, the gift, the notion of the gift uh, in, in Spanish. And um, well, that made me stop and think about, well, what does this mean? And uh, this resonates, of course, with a very familiar concept in anthropology, that of the gift. Uh, and students, okay, so this is one thing, it's the experience in the field. Um, I'm a professor. Undergraduate students are all about, oh, I want to help. And this idea of giving aid, which has to be problematized and critique. So I do still find usefulness in talking about century old concepts in anthropology. And it does touch the students. They are interpellés, um, as we say in French. They, they, they stop and think, huh, okay, it's a bit more complicated than, than what they initially feel as you know, 18 year olds. So the toolkit of anthropology allows me to continue um, and to complexify my research. And also it is a useful uh, pedagogical toolkit for me to make um, young minds appreciate the complexity and the difficulties of you know, humanitarianism and, and disasters in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. It's so interesting that you mentioned gift because this is also how I come to study Chernobyl nuclear disaster that I was working and the humanitarian aid provided by Italy to uh, children affected. So it's interesting how I also started with it, but then I abandoned it because sometimes you don't know where to start. And this is probably the most, the easiest way to, to start. Yes. yes. And you also mentioned a very important um, relationship, that of humanitarianism and development. And I would like to ask you, to what extent do you think they converge completely? And to what extent there is still difference between the two? Um, it's a big question. 
I think there's still differences between the two. Mm -hmm. um, at a very factual level, there's way more money for humanitarian aid than for development. Mm -hmm. uh, development aid is shrinking and um, has for decades. And notions that inspired me when I was a teenager, like uh, solidarity and cooperation are nowhere to be seen. So, or very little to be seen, maybe precisely are more present in uh, critical voices from academia uh, who speak about intersectionality also, but not only. Mm -hmm. So the importance of the language of the concepts we use to talk about, you know, global re globalized relationships. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, there's um, a lot to still be distinguished. We are talking about repatriate, you know, repatriating refugees out of Afghanistan now, mm -hmm. the Syrian crisis. You need humanitarian actors, you need the expertise, you need the money, you need education. Uh, yes, so I really do think that there are, um, it is important to continue to distinguish these two fields of practice, mm -hmm. all right? Mm -hmm. So yes, I think there's, and that will remain because the expertise needed to um, provide emergency humanitarian aid in both conflict situations and natural disaster situations is required. With climate change on top of this, all the more so. The long-term, if development means the long-term, uh, development is then this um, concept of political economy that is um, showing its most ugly faces now, ugly facets in, in, in this day and age. The pandemic that we're living, I find, has shown how governments cannot collaborate or refuse to collaborate for whatever reasons. Uh, even in my own country, in Canada, from province to province, it's different. I understand that the pandemic is different, but I do find that there's a lack of global solidarity in terms of vaccine access and all this. So um, development remains... Um, a, a highly contentious system. What kind of development are we talking about? These are the same critiques by Escobar and Gilbert Ries 20 years ago. I still think that they are very, very relevant. We are re repeating, well, repeating, maybe that's not, we are intensifying a crisis that was already identified many decades ago. So um, the notion of development is very much critiqued by, by actors of the global South, uh, by women's groups, by, by people who, um, Ad, advocacy groups of different sorts. So I don't know if we, we should keep the concept of development. I, I wonder how this is gonna go in the, in the next 10 years. Uh, if development continues to mean, you know, that this economic uh, ascending arrow like Rostow's modernization, if it just sticks that way, well, we're, we're, we're just reaping the effects of this right now all over the planet in terms of well, how, how the environment is, is suffering and, and all, all kinds of species are being affected by humans included. So I don't know if I'm really answering your question. In a nutshell, I'm saying that there has to be, to my mind, there is usefulness in keeping these two concepts and fields of practice distinguished mm -hmm. because they do require different forms of expertise. Mm -hmm. And um, yes, and I think there is always overlap. That's also something that has been mentioned a while back that you need to align humanitarian efforts into development. When they are divorced, you have uh, poorly designed post-disaster projects, just to narrow it down to what we were talking mm -hmm. about earlier. So huge settlements that are abandoned, that are not appropriate for local uh, 
uh, people to, to inhabit, whether in Honduras post-Mitch or in post-Katrina or in Haiti after the earthquake. So these are stories that are repeated all over the world in, in Aceh. So this is one example where you have uh, wasted money, wasted human efforts, disappointed people, false hopes, and all other kinds of things that happen when you do not have a good alignment between humanitarian endeavors and uh, what happens when hum once humani humanitarian actors leave. And this still seems to be a challenge. I find that I'm, you know, I'm older than you. I find that many issues that I thought would have been more or less resolved or um, we, were, we would be going into a better direction in uh, addressing them are still blatantly uh, problematic. I completely agree with you because I also read literature from 1980s and 90s and it seems like the arguments were already there, but why no one is doing anything in relation to critiquing development and how it works and so on. It's still continuing. And we also discuss with students what is development today. Can there be development in the global north? And if development, then if for everyone, it will uh, carry a completely different um, uh, value rather than having development out there and becoming and saving them. And I do think Absolutely. that you're answering the question very well. And especially you made a very important point about difference of resources and that more resources are channeled to humanitarian aid rather than to development aid. And here I would like to come back to your concept of moral economies of aid and to maybe invite to think to what extent the moral economies are also different and to what extent they're similar in when we talk about humanitarianism and when we talk about development. Hmm. You know, I find out that you can even um, divide it even more. Like I see more plural economies of, of, of aid, even within one uh, community setting, because, uh, and that is the strength of anthropology, then I'll get back to your question, mm -hmm. it is to appreciate processes of micro differentiation. So even in one region, you mm -hmm. will have multiple uh, moral economies of aid, if you have this time to appreciate it, um, which are then more, more granular than just distinguishing humanitarian aid and development. Mm -hmm. um, so your question was how to appreciate both and how what's, it's a compare and contrast question again. Um, the kinds of resources are very different, first of all. Uh, development aid today um, is, is very much private sector driven. Uh, it's part of the economic globalization. There is much less questions. Yes, you do have a lot of NGOs, but I mean, where the bulk of resources um, happen or, or are, are mobilized is, um, is very different. So I find that um, the moral economy of, of development aid is still a capitalist one, just to put it very clearly and bluntly. And we, and it's still one about growth or saving the economy. We are in a completely unprecedented global economic times. And we're not, I don't want to delve into this, but it's crazy. <laughs> and, uh, Whereas the moral economy of humanitarian aid draws on different kinds of values. It is not 
uh, about capitalism. It is not about growth or its critique degrowth. It is about saving lives. So there's still this salvational um, value, this salvational ideal that feeds into different um, humanitarian endeavors. Where, whereas you do not have, well, I would find it's a different kind of, of helping ideal in, in development, but the mainstream uh, practices of international de development are highly economic, are globalized. Yes, you have multilateral aid and bilateral aid and the World Bank and the IMF doing what they do. Um, but it, it's, um, it's a model, it's a practice that is hitting a wall more and more. And it's very hard to change. You know, I think it's hard. Well, we're seeing, we need rapid change right now. Mm -hmm. uh, that's what I believe. And it's a very, very difficult to implement. Mm -hmm. So um, the, um, the question of, of international development is, uh, needs to be talked about differently. I'm reading a book right now in French. It hasn't been translated yet by, uh, in English. And the author talks, you know, about, about a radical kind of solidarity. And so it is to, to uh, she, she works at the University of Ottawa. And um, I, I like this language because it, it creates, uh, well, it signals, better said, a, uh, a shift, a necessary shift, a rupture. We need to move away from um, international development as it was practiced for over a century uh, if we want it to be a, a, a more uh, equitable, uh, just practice, and if we want to survive on this planet together. I think it is an area where we could harness and mobilize uh, ideas, youth, people, but we need to think about the way we talk about it and we teach about it and we practice it uh, very deeply. Mm -hmm. And one of the survival um probably discourses and we can you can contest me here is the concept bringing the discussion of uh, concepts in uh, anthropology is disaster vulnerability and I would like to ask you whether you work with this concept what do you think of it and whether it's of any use I have worked with this concept I find it highly useful and I think it should continue to be used there. I find it's a more empowering concept than the concept of resilience that has tended to supplant it. Mm -hmm. Although resilience thinking has brought a lot. Um, as I said, I started uh, studying all this in the late 90s, drawing a lot of my inspiration from Latin American thinkers from La Red de Estudios Sociales mm -hmm. uh, de Desastres. Maybe mm -hmm. I butchered the title, but it's La Red. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember reading fascinating work, uh, including, I don't know if it's Omar Cardona, I forgot, somebody who was talking about vulnerability as a total social fact, mm -hmm. having political, economic, spiritual, religious, gender dimensions. In a way, it was talking about vulnerability as an intersectional concept avant la lettre, before we spoke in the field of disaster studies about intersectionality. Now, I don't wanna say that they had you know, figured it out and that all the uh, current um, critiques and messages and lessons of intersectionality were uh, integrated in the same way as your group and our work is doing it now. But I did find vulnerability a very inspiring concept because it allowed to take into account what I take into account with moral economies, um, questions of values as well, and grounded in, in 
in in people's access to uh, to things, to work, the political economy aspect. Mm -hmm. So I find vulnerability uh, very useful because it has this temporal dimension. It allows you to take into account history. Uh, it allows you to take into account social injustice and class and inequality issues. And it can be, uh, again, um, considered very locally and, and a good comparative. It's a very good concept to do comparative analysis. So I, maybe some people can treat me as a classist, you know, as a classical person that way, but I find that it allowed, and it still allows uh, researchers and people to understand what, um, what are, well, precisely vulnerabilities, questions of risk and how to address them. It is important to say, yes, we're resilient and we can, of course. Uh, it is also important to identify, this is what we need. This is what puts us at risk. This is what historically has been putting us at, at risk. You know, This is what spatially, this is what economically. So I think that it is a, um, it's, it still is a concept that has a lot to offer. And I found that it was a concept that hinted at intersectional issues uh, a while back and that it is a very um, good, that's not the proper adjective in English. It, it, it fits well to put into conversation with questions of intersectionality in order to uh, share what people are going through, you know? Mm -hmm. And the concept of resilience that you also mentioned that I am also grappling a little bit with and haven't yet understood fully, would you like to say a little bit the critique of it? What, what does it lack maybe or why it's less helpful than disaster vulnerability? I find it less helpful, others mm -hmm. may not. So, and it's nice to have this plurality of positions yeah. for us to discuss amongst each other. That's mm -hmm. really first thing I wanna say. Um, resilience has um, been used in so many different fields, huh? from the field of, uh, of engineering, talking about the resilience of materials, to the field of psychology, to the field of disaster studies, to political science, mm -hmm. and to, uh, you know, the biopolitical critique, Foucauldian critique as well of resilience. So, um, in each of these, the way to answer your question would be different. So I want to put that caveat up front, and I just want to stick to our field of disaster studies mm -hmm. and humanitarian uh, action. Mm -hmm. um, for me, resilience was used so much at one point that it, it, it lacked content. It just wanted to signify people's capacity to bounce back, bounce back, bounce back, okay, and they can and they will and they're good and, uh, and they have this inner strength and that's, I don't want to critique, that's great, but it does not open up in the same way as the concept of vulnerability to political action. You can see that I care about this stuff, about the political economy dimension and about making claims in public space to say, hey, yes, we're resilient, but you know, this is what we need. This has been uh, historically uh, an injustice. This is where we're vulnerable. This is where climate change can continue to impact us. So resilience is, a, um, is good, but should not be used alone. That's where that's how I will answer it. I would like I prefer to use it in tandem. Mm -hmm. 
The other thing about resilience, one of the critiques, uh, which came uh, more from uh, researchers in climate change, from IPCC people, more or less, to say it in a nutshell, is that this is not sufficient, just the idea of bouncing back. We need transformation in our societies, and we need transformations in the way we do disaster response, probably, in the way we do uh, post-disaster reconstruction, because it is for a long term that is highly, highly uh, risky, with a, a, <laughs> with a risk chances of survival, with climate change, are 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 you know, problematic, just to put that word there again. So um, I think that we really need to take all this into, into consideration, put resilience uh, in a more transformative uh, understanding than just this capacity to bounce back. So how then do humanitarian actors, how do disaster response actors um, do help in this um, sustainable transformation, in transforming uh, livelihoods, geographical areas, in assisting in transforming. It's not just them doing it, of course not, that's stupid. But to participate in the creation of a space, of a collaborative space, for different people to work towards this transformation. And the same thing goes for development actors. So we traveled now from gift to moral economies of aid covered disaster vulnerability and resilience. And now I would like to ask, what, uh, what are your current passions? What do you work on currently? Currently, I'm working on um, ecological grief. Mm -hmm. I uh, am interested in the way changes in the environment, changes in the, in the topos, uh, has an impact on... on Yes, moral economies, but this effective piece now on human and non-human relationships to the environment and to changing environments. So if this is not just an interest for people who are forced to displace, all right? Like indigenous communities in Alaska or Northern Canada or in the Pacific uh, with forced relocation because of sea level rising. Of course, you have fascinating work in this field, but you do not necessarily have to go away to partake and to feel these things. And um, this is what I'm starting to work on now. All right, questions of ecological grief, uh, still interested in, in rural communities, both in, in Central America, Cuba, maybe in Canada as well, we'll see. Uh, and, um, and how they compose effectively with these uh, dramatic changes in the, in the environment, because they do have an incidence on how uh, we project ourselves in the future, individually, psychically. So from systems, if you want, of, of aid, I am moving now to more um, effective dispositions, questions around grief, questions around uh, mourning, questions, yes, around hope. So you, you have these, these effective uh, dimensions. And I, um, I'm looking at that right now, yes, with, uh, with climate change. Very interesting. And I, I'm wondering about the non-material. When we talk about grief, would it be the human, the person who would grieve, or will it be also can the land grief? or uh, the inhuman or subject uh, grief? 
Well, I think that this is again where the role of anthropologists who do field work will uh, convey different kinds of um, experiences, different kinds of nostalgias, basically. So mm -hmm. in uh, maybe the highlands of Peru, you will have happy or unhappy potatoes. I forgot the name of the anthropologist who recently wrote a chapter on this in a, in a, in a book by Bergam, but uh, it depends where. So I wouldn't say, yes, the earth grieves me. I am not a, <laughs> I am not enabled to make such a statement, but uh, there are certainly multi-species relationships that makes that make humans grieve. Uh, maybe animals also uh, feel things. Um, I'm not a specialist of this. I've my expertise is just on the on the human, all right. But I think that um, to look at the relations. Relationships are, yeah, are absolutely important. Mm -hmm. When something disappears, there's a whole field of extinction studies, you know. Uh, when something disappears, it affects uh, your livelihood. It can affect your projection in the future. It can affect um, your role in society, the way you're perceived, um, many things. Mm -hmm. And would you like to stay with the concept of grief in the future or would you like also to ex explore other terrains? Have you thought about it? Especially now in an ecological crisis, uh, health crisis and all those crises that we experience. Well, just to continue with the, the, the chain of concepts I've played with throughout my mm -hmm. career, um, two others were hope and utopia. Um, as a pedagogue, as a teacher, I cannot just stay on grief because then I cannot just convey grief to, to a younger generation. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I live on this tension between aspiring for better futures or for livable futures as best as they can be and saying goodbye to forms of life that I have appreciated, that uh, many people are saying goodbyes to things they were familiar with. And it is this Yes, this tension composing with these two forces in ourselves, which are, you know, maybe it's a typical human experience. Uh, think about communities who live war, think about the Second World War. I mean, this is also part of, of there's lots of historical experiences about this, but I do not want to stay just in grief. Uh, I also want to stay in the more aspiring part and we'll see where it takes me. For now, with the pandemic, I am uh, letting things sedimenter, sediment in a way, to mm -hmm. see where things take me in, in the next couple of years. Mm -hmm. And um, if younger anthropologists or inspired to be anthropologists would listen now, what would you say to them uh, with all the experience that you had yourself? What will be the message for them if they want to study disaster and humanitarianism and development from a person like from a pedagogue? Hmm. To talk to people. Mm -hmm. To talk to people face to face <laughs> without the virus, yeah. but to, to engage to engage, to learn, to, 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 to create these relationships amongst themselves as a younger generation of, of, of anthropologists, to, um, 
I think human contact, all right, away from social media is, is very important uh, now. Um, I think questions of trust and mistrust are to the fore and, and, and one message would be to um, learn how to navigate these and to uh, just stop and reflect before immediately answering to just pace yourselves. Pace yourselves in the way you, you engage in, in, in polarized debates. Uh, find your tree. <laughs> that comes on with, with aging as well. Find your roots and deploy yourself like, like a tree. Um, as, and keep the passion of life for learning. If you love anthropology, I think it's a, fa I think it's a fantastic field. Keep that alive. Nurture it. It's precious. It can, it can really feed you until until you die. It's it's fascinating. So the world is complex. Duh. Um, I think anthropology is very well suited to uh, offer different kinds, multifaceted kinds of response from more activists to 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 less activists, but they complement each other. Uh, it has a fascinating toolbox to address issues around development, humanitarianism, and disasters. Uh, it is a discipline anchored in the concept of relationships, uh, and this is what we need. We need to nurture, we need to heal all kinds of relationships on, uh, on planet Earth. So I think that aspiring anthropologists have a difficult future, but they can contribute tremendously and tremendous positive to our living together. I very much appreciate that you said we started answering the question with talk to people and human contact, because with the pandemic, we have seen how we cannot have contact and do fieldwork. And even uh, the debate of reconsidering fieldwork uh, has been erased. Can we do it digitally? Uh, and so on, but uh, there's something that cannot be taken away, and it's exactly that, the human contact in yes. fieldwork. Absolutely. And on this note, I would really like to thank you, Alicia, for sharing your insights with me today. I would like to remind our listeners that our precious guest today was Alicia Slivitsky, Associate Professor of Global Studies at the Wilfrid Laurier University in Canada. Uh, and um, if you are interested in uh, learning more about uh, humanitarianism in development, you can visit our website. It's www.humanitarianstudies.no. Uh, uh, and we will be back. Thank you for listening. <laughs>